everybody. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Everybody all right? Yay. So what, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to start a new series this morning, a series that we're calling Good News. We're going to spend about three weeks looking at the Gospel or just good news, like Jesus-style good news for the next three weeks. I'm pretty excited about it. And um, while you're turning there, and before we uh, read anything or spend any time considering the Scriptures, I want to just ask you guys a really simple question. And here's the question. What's the best news that you could receive? I'm sorry, right over here. What is that? Yeah, that's great news. Great news. What other, what's some other great, what's the best news that you could receive? You're going to have a baby. That's great news. That's really great news. That you've been healed. Anybody here ever been healed before? Like, like someone prayed for you and you got healed. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. One time, I'll tell Barry's story. Barry was right up here, crazy back troubles. And I prayed what, Barry? A 15 second prayer? And it wasn't, and it wasn't profound. Isn't that crazy? Barry's been healed from significant back trouble from 10 months after we prayed 15 seconds. That's great news. It's unbelievable. What's some other, what's the best news you could receive? Maybe somebody over here. Yeah, CC. Cancer free. That's great news. That's credible news. Uh, left section. Anything over here, guys? What's the best news you could receive? This, this side is consistently the most introverted. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with awkward silence. I'll let it die. What's the best news you could receive? Yeah, that's always great news. Always great news. We must, this must be the super Christian group this morning. No one has said win the lottery yet. First service, they were like, all kinds of money. It's like, yeah, that's good news. Um, What's the best news that we could receive? Like this group, this room right here. What's the best news for the whole room? The love of Jesus. What else? He's coming back. I believe that. What else? What's What's the best news that a whole group of people could receive? Fellowship. That there's love, community, affection for one another. That you could come in and be a stranger and leave and have friends. That's good news. That's really good news. Now let me ask you another question. It's going to seem a little bit stupid, but I sort of have to ask it. What do you like more? What do you like more? Good news or bad news? You like good news more. The truth is, nobody really thinks they like bad news. But have you ever noticed this? That in the media and news outlets, that they mostly peddle bad news. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that you and I like good news more than bad news, but the only thing that's in the news outlets is bad stuff? Have you thought about that? Why? 
Okay, now we're getting down to the roots of something. Bad news will get you ratings, and bad news will get you attention. Bad news sells. What does it mean that bad news sells? What does it mean? What does it, if bad news is selling, what does that mean about you and I? We're buying. And why are we buying? Somebody else's bad news. Kind of like it. Actually, Amy, you're right on it. You're right on it. Bad news sells because we're buying. We're buying. And I did a little research this week, and it was really interesting what I found about bad news. For every one good story that's on a major public news outlet, there will be somewhere between 17 and 20 bad stories. And then there's all these theories for why it is that way. You think... I like good news more than bad news. You like good news more than bad news. But we're inundated with bad news. And for every one good story, there'll be 17 or maybe 20 bad ones. And then then you begin to ask questions. Well, well, why is that? And so there's all all kinds of different theories. And it all depends on where you get your worldview from. Um, Secular biologists. uh, Read for that people who don't believe in God. Uh, People who don't believe in God, evolutionary biologists, they say that we like bad news because yeah, it's basically, um, it's, it's an evolutionary thing. We begin to, we pay attention to the bad even if it's improbable because it leads to a greater chance of survival. That's what they say. Uh, statistical in- experts, they say that it works like this. They say that uh, bad things rarely happen to individuals. Did you know that? Bad things actually rarely happen to individuals. Now, bad things have happened to every single person in this room, and unfortunately, probably some bad things are going to happen to you uh, if you live uh, longer. Uh, Probably you'll experience some other things that are bad. But if you were to chart out all your days, you and I have had way more good things happen to us than we've ever had bad things happen to us. So this is what the statistical guys say. They say, at an individual level, bad things actually rarely happen. So the smaller the sample size is the less bad news there is to go around. But at a national level, so national level news and media outlets, they have a much larger sample size. And what do you have with that sample size? More bad stories. What are we going to run? We're going to run them. Why? Because they sell. And then social psychologists, they say that there's two internal forces at work that keep us in in cycles of negativity. One of them is called a negativity bias, and another one's called a confirmation bias. And if you've had Psychology 101, you've probably heard of these. Anybody ever heard of these things? Negativity bias or confirmation bias? Here's what they are. Really simple. A negativity bias is the tendency that you and I have to give bad news more weight. Did you know that we do that? Even people who say, no, I'm a positive person. Even people who, who, who are committed to being positive when they do double-blind tests and ask you questions where you don't really know what they're getting at, one of the things that gets discovered is is we give bad news more weight than we give good news. If I came and told you two things, one that was good and one that was bad, uh, in general, we would give more weight and we would believe the bad story before we ever believe the good story. Isn't that weird? Isn't that so weird? So weird. So that's a negativity bias. And then there's another bias that's happening sort of on the inside of people. Uh, It's called a confirmation bias, which means that we tend to look for things that confirm the conclusions that we've already drawn. Right? 
So we live with a worldview, a particular worldview, and then we tend to look at the world in ways that confirm the worldview that we already have. Now, this is, this is a real problem, and as Mr. Fox would say, it's a cluster cuss when you put them together. You guys seen that Fox movie? I love that. Anyway, when you mix them together, it works like this. You tend to give the negative more weight, and because we have a confirmation bias, we look for it, and when we look for it, we find it, and it confirms the overall negative worldview that we already have. Isn't this great? Do you feel encouraged? Do you feel the Holy Ghost? Can I get an amen? Now, I'll just tell you where I think about all those theories. I tend to think that there's probably some grain of truth in all three of those theories that we just talked about there. But I also have my own theory, which I'm not going to lie, is probably pretty arrogant because I'm just a Bible guy. But what can I say? I'm a preacher and I've got the microphone. I actually think that Amy was nailing it just a minute ago. I think sometimes we like bad news and we like bad stories, specifically those bad things that happen way out there, because it makes, it makes me feel more powerful and I end up feeling superior. So, for instance, sometimes we, we will gossip about a dissolving marriage because it makes us feel better about our own relationships. You know, everybody in the room would admit that, that gossip is terrible and Pretty much everyone in the room gossips. And when you get right down to the root of why people do that, you may not be able to aware of it. You may not even be able to articulate it. But one of the reasons that we interact in those kinds of conversations is because we actually were just, we're really insecure and we want to feel better about ourselves. Or what about this? Um, some of this stuff about how we want to feel powerful um, probably also explains... Right now, just the national fascination that we have with the fact that a handful of people have Ebola. You realize there's billions of people in the world and that only a really, really, really tiny handful of them have Ebola, but Ebola's everywhere on the news. Does, does that make sense? It makes no sense, does it? Now, I'm not trying to make light of Ebola. It, that is, it's not a joke. It's a terrible thing. It's awful. God, would you help, right? But it doesn't make sense. Uh, even this week, I heard a pastor say that Ebola was a judgment from God on Africa. Yeah, people think, and, and, then, and, you know, and then we wonder why the world doesn't like Christians. It's like, well, because we say dumb things, you know? It's okay if the world doesn't like us. It's not okay if the world doesn't like us for dumb reasons. Anyway, so I heard this pastor say that Ebola is a judgment from God on Africa. And I thought, Really? I mean, don't get me wrong, Ebola is terrible. And it's truly disheartening to see people suffer like that. But I got to asking this question. If it were really a judgment from God, shouldn't it be more effective? I mean, people are surviving it. You've got to learn how to think, people. <laughs> like, if Ebola is a judgment from God, shouldn't it kill everybody who gets it? But about half the people are surviving. And in the United States, the survival rate is 87%. Like... God's, God, your judgment's not terrific. Like, here in America, like, we're overcoming your judgment, God. It's crazy. Totally nuts. My guess is this. My guess is that pastor felt confident saying that it was a judgment from God for several reasons. Number one, because it's far away. 
See, the further it is, I get more confident. I can say stuff. You, you know that kid in school who was a loudmouth and would, would say all the things he's going to do to people and how he's going to beat them up and trash them until that dude walked in the room and then like, he's quiet as a mouse? Yeah, see, the further, yeah, the further we get away from stuff, we get, we get real brave, you know? I figure that pastor was confident saying that because it was far away, it was extreme, like Ebola is an extreme thing, like you bleed out of your eyeballs. It looks like judgment, right? And it's in the news, so it must be true. And, so, and, and then also, finally, it made his particular denomination feel safe and sound and blessed. Like, we're blessed, we don't have Ebola. That's really what's at the root of that. Has, and by the way, just in case you were wondering, Ebola is not a judgment from God. Ebola came from hell. If it came from anywhere, it came from hell. Like, God doesn't have Ebola to give. Who are we kidding? It's like when people say, I got cancer and it came from God. Like, uh, well, if God is giving people cancer, then what's the devil doing? I don't get it. Like, time to get a new God. All right, so I've built all this context to get to what I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about, like, Jesus-style gospel Good news. And one of the things that I think we've seen at least this far this morning in terms of the context that I've been trying to build is this. It's that we actually have to be honest about something. And what I'm asking us to be honest about is a little bit on the difficult side. So, brace yourself. Here's something that could be true. You and I, we want good news for us, but maybe not for everyone else. Isn't that weird? And I've wondered this week as I was prepping this message and just kind of reading and thinking, I've wondered if this isn't one of the reasons that we're now seeing a decline in the church in the West. I've wondered if we haven't adopted the good news in such a highly personal, individualistic manner that it actually kills the gospel momentum that Jesus came to give. Like, I want to be saved, but I really don't care if anyone else is saved. I want good news for me, but... Ebola in Africa makes me feel better. I wonder if we haven't taken uh, the gospel message and only heard it as Jesus is my personal savior. Like, you understand no one in the first century believed Jesus was their personal savior. I mean, he is, but that was never the, the way the first century Christians believed it. Je- first century, Jesus is our savior. He's the Lord of the universe. Different thing. I wondered if we haven't divided good news just for me. Oh, I'm... I've got good news at my house. You understand what I'm saying? I've wondered if this isn't some way in which the American gospel has come and robbed us of some of the real good news. So we need to recover some stuff. I want to look at two verses in particular this morning. It's Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. And I think that these are like the essence. I think that these are the building blocks for good news DNA. Uh, the, what is it, the A, the C, the T, and the G? Is that right, biology people? That's the building blocks of DNA. Am I right? Girl in the glasses, am I right? Okay, the girl in the glasses says I'm right. So I'm right. I believe that these two verses contain essential gospel good news. And by the way, gospel means good news. I believe that it, it contains the building blocks for that DNA. Uh, first thing that I want to draw your attention to is that... Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And this all happens after John was arrested. And what we see here, even before Jesus speaks one word, 
what I want you to be able to see here in the scripture is that we have the closing of one day and we have the dawning of another day. John represented one time period and what God was doing in the earth and Jesus represents another. And so the truth is, even this morning, is it's a new day. Like We need to grab a hold of this. It's a new day. John represents that entire Old Testament prophet thing. And when John gets put in prison, then Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't do anything until, Jesus doesn't begin to preach until John's put in prison. Isn't that weird? Why? He's, Jesus is letting that one day close. And when John is put in prison, that's the kickoff for this brand new day. And so John represents an old day. Uh, the old day, we, we could talk about it a lot of different ways but it's that eye for an eye tooth for a tooth kind of a day that where that day where people get what they deserve and by the way what's really troubling is is that you can live in the new day with an old day mindset and miss all the good new day stuff uh, lots of people even christians still believe that people should get what they deserve dude that's old day stuff like people people like like really believe that that it's good like people should get what they deserve how many of you all want people to get what they deserve? Yeah, see, I didn't think anybody put their hand up. There's probably some people here who want people to get what they deserve. But if you're smart, you don't. Because the truth is, the only reason it's any good news, and what we're going to talk about here in a minute, is that no one gets what they deserve. The kingdom of heaven is founded upon the, this one principle. No one gets what they deserve. Wow. It's not very Republican. It's the dawning of a new day. It's not the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth day uh, where everything had to be paid for. And, And here's the big one too. In that old day, that John day, you could never be quite sure if God were mad or not. See, lots of people are still not sure what God's like. Lots of people are never... Some of us had a dad who was like sometimes like really sweet and then sometimes really angry and you would, you would walk in the door and you would just try to take the temperature for a minute. Some of us know what I'm talking about. You would, you would walk in, you just take the temperature. Like, what kind of mood's dad in today? Do I need to just slip down the hall here real quickly and close the door to my room, put on my headphones and get away? Or is it safe for me to get something in the kitchen? Some of you all know what I'm talking about. Not only that, some of us still believe that's how God is. It's like, well, you know. We just brace, we pray and we brace ourselves. Like, we don't know what kind of mood he's in. That's all old day stuff. And I'm here to tell you that's over. It's part of the good news. That got put in prison and it didn't survive. And Jesus represents a new day. And it isn't lost on me, before we even begin to deal with the text much here. I love this part. That John gets put in prison. Jesus comes into the Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And I love this part. Jesus is the, Jesus who is God, by the way. And because he is God, he's the one guy in the whole universe who could have come into Galilee and read people the riot act. Like he's the one guy who could have come and said, you know what, you guys have been sinning and I'm mad. You know, he's the one guy who could have come in and said, you guys are a bunch of adulterous. Ah! He could have done it and he didn't. Isn't that stunning? Part of the good news is that the one guy who could have read you the riot act and been justified in doing so, the one guy in the whole universe who could have thrown you under the bus, when he shows up, he comes with, with this message. Hey, why don't you guys cheer up? 
It's pretty amazing. Like, could we cheer up a little <laughs> tiny bit? I love that. And we might not have expected that. In fact, most people in the world still don't believe it. Uh, one of two things, most people in the world. Most people in the world either, A, dismiss the notion of God, or they assume that he's mostly angry, and when he comes, he's going to throw it all on a fire. I grew up in a system where we believed that God was, well, this is what we believed. We believed that the Father was angry. We, le- we believed that Jesus was nice. And we believed that the Holy Spirit was spooky. And that when, when Jesus came back, he was, he was going to be pissed and he's going to throw everything in a fire and he's going to snatch a couple of us out and maybe we'd go to heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> maybe some of you all grew up in the church that I did. That's kind of what we believed. We didn't articulate it that way. We, we, had, we had better ways of saying it, of course. But that's essentially what we believed. And Jesus comes and he's the one guy who could have done all of that and he did none of it. And lots of people still assume that God is mostly angry. Yet when Jesus shows up, he comes with a message of hope. He comes saying, cheer up. And no one would have thought of that. And so even when we see Jesus' message here, uh, three, three things get highlighted for us. Uh, one of the things that gets highlighted for us is what God is really like. Uh, as Christians, one of the things that we need to be most about is telling the world what God is really like. It's one of the fundamental questions that every human being alive deals with. Uh, what God is like is actually a more powerful question than is there a God or not. Uh, people wall themselves off from believing in God, not because the concept of God is too big or intimidating, but it's the fear that he might be a bad person. So what God is like is actually a much more fundamental question. Here we begin to see what God is like. Secondly, uh, we begin to hear what he is saying. And then thirdly, we begin to see who God is including. So for instance, uh, I would like to say that God is mostly happy. Jesus is the one guy who could have thrown humanity under the bus and he threw new one, no one under the bus. God is mostly happy. Mostly happy. Secondly, what is God saying? He's saying, cheer up. He's saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. His rule and his reign is within reach. That's what he's saying. And we're going to go into that here in a minute. And then also we see who God is including. Who God is including. Here in Jesus, we see that God is beginning to draw the circle bigger and bigger. And one of the ways that we can see that God is beginning to draw the circle bigger and bigger to include more and more people until he includes the whole world is when we just look at what John the Baptist did compared to what Jesus did. So, for instance, Jesus doesn't go out and start preaching until John's put in prison. Let's just remember for a moment what John's ministry was like. Where was John's ministry located? In the desert. If you wanted to hear John, where did you have to go? You're smart people. You just told me. The desert. So John was like this stationary guy, and if you wanted to hear his message, you had to go out to him. Jesus works the exact opposite. Jesus doesn't tell anybody to come out to where he's at. Jesus is the one who's going to where they are. He goes first to Galilee, and then by the end of Mark 1, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, we've got to go to all the towns and villages because I've got to tell them all this good news. So what we see is that Jesus is actually expanding the circles of who's included wider and wider and wider. John had a really small dot. Jesus' dot's like the whole world. What's God like? He's mostly happy. What's his message? Cheer up. And thirdly, who's included? Everybody. It's actually decent news. 
And some of us in the room, particularly people who have been to church a time or two, you're thinking, okay, this sounds all right, but I feel like this is probably some sort of a bait and switch because when you look at verse 15, there's that word in there and it makes me feel weird. And I think we all know what the word is, right? Anyone? Repent, yeah. It's like the bummer word. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of us in the room have certain mental images that arise when we hear the word repent. M- maybe it's like an angry preacher who was, you know, yelling at the congregation, like, somebody's going to get saved, you know. I'm not leaving, you know. You ever been at one of the I'm not leaving sermons? I'm not leaving. Yeah. You guys have not gone to church as much as I have. <laughs> apparently yeah if you've gone to church much eventually you hear the i'm not leaving sermon i'm not getting down until somebody repents and comes home you know yeah so you might have that mental image or or maybe it's just a generalized sense of shame like like as soon as you hear repent you just feel like everything that you are is rotten you're just like oh oh man here we go again or or maybe you instantly think of sin Anybody instantly kind of like think of sin? Yeah, okay, a couple things. Uh, number one, God is not hoping that people will go on sinning. But he's not hoping that people will go on sinning. He, he's, not, he's not hoping that, uh, he's not against sin because it makes him angry. This is one of the things that we have to work through. God's not against sin because it makes him angry. He's against sin because it ruins your life. That's That's the whole thing, like, like, God's not against adultery because lots of sex is, ba- is, is making you happy. No, God's against adultery because when you have adultery, uh, eventually you'll probably get a, a, another woman pregnant or you may become pregnant and then, uh, oh, just like family start dissolving and then you have to explain to people things. Some of you all have experienced those family dynamics, right? Like, ad- adultery is not good uh, for anyone. Not the people involved or the people around them. And that's why God's against it. He's like, it's not because he's afraid that people are going to have sex and get happy. In fact, he's for having sex and being happy. He's just not for adultery. And so sometimes when we hear the word repent, we instantly think of sin and we're like, oh, no. Well, God's not hoping that anyone would go on sinning. But that's not really the center of the target of what Jesus is actually talking about here. When he says repent, that word actually means change the way you think. Change the way you think. Change the way you think. And when Jesus is asking us to change the way we think, it begs the question, what is he asking us to think differently about? I'm glad you asked. He's asking us to think differently about two things in particular And these two things particular are at the very core root of what the good news actually is. The first thing is this. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. Jesus is saying the time is fulfilled. Now, if you were a first century Jew, this phrase right here is completely pregnant. As soon as you hear it, echoes of the Old Testament scripture come alive in your ears. 
Uh, you and I don't hear it the way first century Jews would have heard it. Here's how they hear it. When Jesus says the time is fulfilled, they instantly think of Daniel 7. They think of Daniel 10. Uh, you know all that stuff in Isaiah where he says the lion will lay down with the lamb? Y'all, y'all know that stuff? And all that stuff about how Israel is going to be uh, the hope of the nations and all those promises that God made to Abraham about how I'm going to bless you and your whole family is going to be a blessing to the world. As soon as Jesus says the time is fulfilled... That's what they're thinking. They're thinking, this is it, guys. We're going to overthrow Rome. All that stuff we've been hoping and waiting for, oh, it might actually be here. And the truth is, it is. And it has implications for us because we also need to change the way we think as well. It has implications for us because of this. Most of the church believes in a better day. You and I believe in a better day. Uh, But the trouble is, is that we believe that better day is locked in the future or some other time. Uh, Specifically, most of the church believes that the good news that Jesus has to offer only gets doled out after you die. This is, I mean, functionally, this is essentially what most people believe, even Christians, particularly in the South. They believe that the good stuff is after you die. It's in heaven. And Jesus is saying, you should stop thinking like that. Jesus is saying to first century Jews, all that stuff in Isaiah, all that stuff in Daniel, all those promises to Abraham that you've been hoping and longing for and wondering where they're going to be, they're now. And he says to the church in Campbellsville in 2014, all that stuff that you thought was stuck in heaven is now. You should change the way you think. This is the repentance that Jesus is looking for. Start, start having eyes to see that the good stuff is here now. And then secondly, Jesus says right after that, he says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingdom. Uh, what is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is the place of his rule and reign where God's will is done. He's saying that God's rule and God's reign God's ability to take wrong things and make them right is at hand. Uh, To say it another way, God's kingdom is within reach. You can reach it. You can reach it. It's available. Uh, I love what Gary said last week. God's kingdom is at hand uh, even if you have short arms. I love what Gary said. He said, even if you didn't have an arm and you just had a hand on the side of your shoulder, it's still within reach. So the repentance, the good news repentance that Jesus is most looking for, most looking for, is he's looking for you and I to begin to change our minds about two things. Where is God's kingdom and when is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is here and it is now. That's the good news. That's the good news. That's the core message of the good news. You don't have to die to get the good stuff. You don't have to wait till heaven to get the good stuff. It's not that you die and go to heaven. The good news is that Jesus came to earth and brought heaven with him. It's actually, it actually works the exact opposite of the way most people who are alive today and believe in Jesus actually think it works. The good news is not that one day you won't go to hell and you'll go to heaven. The good news is that Jesus has already come and he has brought heaven with him. The kingdom of God is at hand. So you need to change the way you think. You need to start believing that God is near And that he's active. This is what it means to believe the good news. He's near and he's active. He's for me, not against me. Faith is trusting that in every situation. God is near. 
and that he's here right now with his kingdom and that anything could happen. And when I say that, some people get pretty excited and then other people in the room feel a little bit depressed because some of us really struggle to believe. And there's probably some people in this room right now who are going through some really difficult uh, seasons and you're having a really hard time believing that God is, is near and that he's active and that he's available. And if that's you, I just want to tell you that's okay. It's totally okay if you're having a, trouble, a hard time believing. Uh, and here's the main reason why it's okay if you're having a hard time believing. Uh, because your faith doesn't bring him. No one's faith has ever brought Jesus anywhere. He's already here. Uh, conversely, your lack of faith doesn't keep him out. So whether you have lots of faith or whether you have a little tiny bit of faith or whether you have almost no faith or whether you have absolutely none, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't change who God is and where he's at and what is available at all. Oh, by the way, that's good news. That's like great news. Uh, also, if you've never struggled with doubt and if you've never struggled with faith and you've been a believer um uh, also good news you're going to have seasons where you struggle this is the part of every disciple's walk you will go through seasons where you wonder where in the world is jesus at you count on it it's actually part of what jesus wants to take people through uh, it's interesting to me that that the disciples who traveled with jesus for three and a half years when jesus was resurrected and raised from the dead it's those guys who didn't believe that it was him the women all believed it, by the way. The 12 disciples, they didn't believe it. What, what does that tell us? Uh, if you're a disciple, you will have seasons of doubt. And you can't train yourself out of doubt. And you can't, um, you can't study yourself out of doubt. You will go through it. And it's okay because your faith doesn't bring him and your unbelief doesn't keep him out. But that's terrific news. It's great news. So maybe you struggle with faith. If you struggle with faith... Here's where you should start. You should, just start for look, you should just start looking for Jesus. You should start looking for his kingdom. What does that mean? Looking for his kingdom just means looking for God's rule and reign, looking for his influence, looking, look for the places where, where, where things seem to be dissolving. Look for those threads that seem to be bringing them back together. You, you run that thread down, you'll find God at the end of it. He's always bringing things back together. Look for the good news. Uh, it doesn't matter how bad the situation is. Somewhere hidden inside of the bad situation is good news. So let's go back to that cancer thing again. I have occasionally had people who had cancer tell me that they thought God gave them cancer. And I understand why they say that. I don't believe that at all. I don't think he has cancer to give. But, but one of the reasons that people say that is even in the midst of really, really difficult times, like maybe you got cancer and you got really, really sick, uh, one of the things that people discover is that God is right there beside them. Right, I mean, so close. So, 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 so close. It, it's a surprise to us. And sometimes we get confused in our language and we thought, well, maybe God gave me cancer so that we could be together. No, it's not that. He's just, you just can't get rid of him. Like, Cancer, hellfire, nothing can get rid of Jesus. And you just end up finding him. Right there in the middle of the most difficult circumstance, you end up finding him. And that's great news. He's the God who enters into every situation. Uh, we didn't go looking for it. We didn't even know what good news was, but it has come looking for us and it's found us. All that stuff that we think is future and another place has arrived early. 
even before you pray any prayer, even that prayer that's prayed down front while you hold the pastor's hand, God's already come. He's already at work. And I'd also like you to know that the good news is not transactional. And I know a lot of people have come, have come through a transactional gospel. Yeah, and you know, you know what I mean by when I say transactional gospel, right? Like, uh, Jesus, here's my sin, I take your life, and blah, 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 blah that. Uh, look, lots of people have come through that, and I believe in that. Like, Jesus, man, he, he'll, he'll, he'll just take anything he can get to work with. But I would like to say that at its core and at its roots, the good news that Jesus has to offer is not transactional because God's kingdom is not a product. It's not an incantation. You don't get saved when you pray a prayer. There's not a prayer. There's not a prayer anybody can pray that saves them. It's actually just the work is already done and you begin to wake up to what Jesus has already done. See, it's actually good news. And everyone's included. We're going to, by the way, next week we're going to scramble eggs. I just want to put that out there. We're going to scramble some eggs. It's so much bigger than like this transactional thing that we've fallen into. It's not transactional at all. It's not an incantation. It's not like Jesus was like, oh, I, I hear that prayer. No hell for you. Come on. No, the good news is that Jesus shows up early. He comes with words of cheer. He brings heaven with him. And the sheer wonder of it all causes us to wake up to a life that we never imagined. That's the good news. It's like, are you kidding me? I got included on this stuff and I didn't even know that I needed it? Yes, that's the good news. You're included in things you didn't know you needed. It looks like this. The next slide. And if you read this, like if you read this with even like one of your intelligence buttons turned on, this is a crazy passage. Listen to this. Passing along, this is the verses right after the ones we just read. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says, hey guys, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Who does that? And then it gets worse. And going on a little further, he saw James and John, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called to them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Dad, see ya. Now, how many of you understand that the guys who got out of the boat and followed Jesus, these guys were probably 6th, 7th, 8th generation fishermen. Like, everybody in their family fishes and everyone that they've ever known in their family has been a fisherman like great 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 granddad was a fisherman all of them and jesus says on one day he says one time apparently we don't know there's really not much more context there he says would you follow me and they jump out of their boat and they follow him that's bananas absolute bananas and you have to ask yourself what would make men who are eighth generation fishermen jump out of a boat when they get an invitation from one traveling prophet who's running across town one afternoon. And the only thing I can come up with is somehow they knew inside their hearts that Jesus was offering them something better. Somehow. And by the way, when they get out of the boat and they start following Jesus, they have no clue what's going to happen next. Uh, by the way, no one who ever begins to trust Jesus knows what they're actually believing in. Did you know that? Like even when, and I, and I do this a lot. I, I, 
lots of people end up coming to know Jesus here at the vineyard and I'll meet with them and we talk about like what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how did you come to trust him and all this stuff and I try to give them some context and we talk about baptism and what it means and uh, we try to talk about what Jesus who Jesus is and what his life is and I, I usually give people a chance to ask me some questions and and then uh, sometimes I answer one of them but mostly I just tell them I don't know and even after we've done the whole thing of talking things through they still have no clue what they're actually saying yes to. No one, think about it for a minute. Think about the day that you, you started believing, like you started trusting Jesus for stuff. Think about that day. Now think about where you are now. Did that person who first believed, did they have any clue of what the person who sits here now? No. I'm telling you, I started trusting Jesus and, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know a thing. I just, I just knew that he brought me something good. And I, for some reason, I just began to go, I don't know why, but Jesus, I think, I, I, think, I think you got it right. And I couldn't even articulate it. And here I am almost 30 years later, and it's, you still don't know. Those guys got out of that boat. They had no clue where they were going. Not one single clue. Uh, one of the things that this tells us is that intellect, intellect and, um, and smarts is not a factor in becoming a believer in Jesus. You actually don't have to know anything to be a believer in Jesus. Uh, you, can, you, can be a, um, you can be a moron and believe in Jesus. Uh, you can have bad theology and believe in Jesus. You can believe the wrong things in Jesus and he'll still take you. <laughs> that really fries circuits. But it's true. It's totally true. They had no idea what was going to happen next. In fact, this week, Seth and I, my second born son, uh, we took a we took a couple days and we had man time in Chicago. I, I try to take at least one trip with each of my kids every year. And Seth and I, we decided we'd take three days for man time in Chicago. Our goal was to eat great food, to see art, and to walk around the city. And uh, that's what we did. We, we just ate great food and we went to museums and I took him to this I took him to the contemporary, the Museum of Contemporary Art, and we saw this David Bowie retrospective. I had to explain to my 12-year-old son what androgyny is. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, but right, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some people understand that. Some people don't. But right in the middle of Chicago, there's a river. Anybody ever been to Chicago? You seen the Chicago River? Yeah, we stayed in a hotel that overlooked the Chicago River. It was beautiful. And there's these boats that go up and down the Chicago River all the time. And have you guys seen the tour boats that are on the Chicago River? They're like those big boats, and they have like a platform and all the seats on there, and they take you up and down the river, and they tell you all the history of Chicago. I hate stuff like that. Like, I don't want to hear some guy tell me boring things about Chicago. I just want to go live in the exciting city that is. But anyway, there's apparently people who like doing that. And I got to thinking about this passage, and I got to thinking about those boats and the captains who drive those boats, and I got to thinking... What would happen if I went down to the Chicago River and I called out to the captain of that boat and I said, boat captain, person, why don't you follow me? There, how many of you understand there's a 0% chance that guy's getting out of the boat? Right? He's just not coming. And, and, and if he does... How many of you understand that I've got a problem on my hands? It's like, uh, I'm sorry, we're just staying at the Sheraton two more nights. I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, right? 
yeah, the gravity sort of like hits you. What would I have to tell that guy to get him out of the boat to follow me? Like, how good would the offer have to be? It'd have to be insane, wouldn't it? It'd have to be just insane. Not only that, but Jesus' offer to those disciples, it must have had such life on it that they recognized that something tremendously better was being made available to them and they left. And that was the first time that those disciples were converted. But how many of you understand it wasn't the last time that they were converted? I don't know if you're aware of this, but salvation is not a one-time event. Salvation is over and over and over and over and over and over. Uh, In fact, I know this is going to sound heretical to some people here, but I've been saved like 97 million times. It's really true. This is how it works. So these disciples, they get out of the boat and they follow Jesus. They have no idea where they're going. They're just trusting that he has something better to offer, right? Everybody in the room sees that. They begin to trust Jesus. They begin to, to really believe that God's kingdom isn't another place and it isn't another time, but it's here and it's now. Boom. They start walking in the kingdom. But how many of you understand that like, there were areas of their life that still hadn't been converted or, or ruled by God's dominion? Like for instance, you guys remember that one story when they're, like, they're in the boat and a storm blows up and Jesus is asleep in the back and the disciples, they go and they shake Jesus. They're like, you got to wake up. And he's like, why? I'm napping. And they're like, well, there's a huge storm and the waves are coming in the boat. And Jesus is like, I'm totally cool. And, and they're like, no, 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 we're going to die. And so Jesus wakes up and he wipes the sleep out of his eyes. And we think, we think, in, we think like that it happens, like Jesus stands at the bow of the boat, like Leonardo DiCaprio. We think that it was like, you know, be, peace, be still. We think it's like that. Probably it was more like this. Peace, be still. And he's like walking back to the boat. And everything goes, all the waves just go flat. All the wind goes away. All the rain just... And, and then there's the... Uh, this, this sound didn't happen, but I like to imagine this sound. That didn't happen, but I like to imagine it. Kind of like the Matrix. If you've seen the Matrix, when they're shooting bullets at Neo and he's doing this. Some of that stuff, really. How many of you understand that the disciples who were on the boat, when Jesus said, peace be still, the storm stopped, the waves dropped. How many of you understand that in that one second that that happened, they all got saved again? They're like, I, be- I trust you in brand new ways. That I didn't trust you. I didn't even know I could trust you in those ways. I had no clue that I could trust you in storm management. <laughs> I don't know. What do you call that? Right? What do you call that? Yeah, so we just, so, so is conversion a one-time thing or is it many? Oh, it's many. Why? Because it isn't transactional, it's relational. It's like friendship. Like, are you friends one time? Not if you're going to be best friends. No, 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 no. Like, I've got a best friend. He and I have been friends for years, and we just keep being friends. Like, we don't, it's not like I went to Eric's house, and then we were friends, and then I just, like, sort of left, and and we're friends. No, no, we just, we keep being friends. This is what trust in Jesus and conversion looks like. We actually need a whole new system for it. I'm going to destroy 
some stuff in the next three weeks. Like, we need to just, we need to process with Jesus over and over and over and invite him into our lives and we begin to trust him. We just begin to trust, we don't have any idea where we're going. We're just, we begin to trust Jesus. We start believing that heaven is now. We start believing that the kingdom of God is within reach, that not everything is locked behind some door, that I don't have to die to get the good stuff, uh, that there's good stuff after I die, but there's a ton of good stuff right now. And I'm just, I begin to believe that. I begin to believe that. And when I believe that, all of a sudden, when I meet sick people, you know what? I, I, I don't believe they have to die to get a new body. I no longer believe that. Why? Because I've seen too many deaf ears open. And I'm not talking about metaphorical deaf ears. I'm talking about actual deaf ears. I've seen deaf ears opened. I have seen sick bodies made well. Why? Because the good stuff showed up early. That's why. Amen. Come on. It's like, it's like real good news. Really. And every time I see something crazy happen like that, every time I pray for someone and they get, they get healed, or every time I talk, start talking about the love of God and someone begins to trust Jesus, man, I, just, I get saved again. Over and over again. Uh, Heather and I, we got in... All kinds of trouble one time. We, uh, this is early in our marriage. We just got, we got bent over backwards financially. And the Lord saved us out of it. Like, and I can't even, I don't have time to tell you the story because I've already gone over. But we needed, we, need, we didn't need a few bucks. We needed a bunch of bucks. And we got all the bucks. And I don't, I, after we got them, I don't even know where they came from. I remember laying in bed that night with Heather on my arm. And I was just like, this is pretty phenomenal. She says, yeah. And in my head and heart, I'm like, I just got saved again. It's just ongoing. You just get saved. You just, why? Because salvation is huge, huge, huge. There's whole, there's whole parts of my heart that probably still need to get saved. And you know what? And if I get struck by lightning or hit by a bus tomorrow, you know what? Those parts of my heart that, that haven't been invaded by God's kingdom, Jesus is going to be like, whatever, come on in doors wide open by the way i read the book revelation at the very end there's all these gates in heaven they stay open all the time they never get shut we'll go there later (laughs) he's just he's it's so good it's so big he just wants us to keep changing our minds he wants us to change our minds about these two things when is the kingdom of god and where is the kingdom of god man it's within reach and it is now it is now the good stuff is here the good stuff is here Amen? Amen. Hey, I feel the Lord. Do y'all feel the Lord? I feel the, I feel the kindness of Jesus. I, feel, I do. I do. I do. By the way, I've seen way more people get saved and have salvation experiences when the kindness of Jesus comes around than when the angry God comes around. Why do we want to manipulate people with anger or fear of hell? Like the whole, like, you're dangling over hell on a spider's thread. Well, A, I don't believe that. And then two, uh, if you are hanging over hell by, with a, by a spider's thread, I believe that the spider's thread is Jesus and it won't break. <laughs> so, uh, I've seen people come into knowing Jesus way more by, by demonstrations and atmospheres of his kindness like this right here. Like this kind of like light vibe we've got going in the room right now. Ooh, come on with that. Or how about at the end of worship, like Hannah singing that, that song we sang, that last song? Father, you're all I need, that song. Did y'all feel how the room just like flipped on side, on its side? Yeah, man, that was the Holy Spirit just like showing up. And some of us are like, oh, that feels really good. And that little thing on the inside where you're like, that feels really good and I like that, that's the beginning of you believing in Jesus even more. Yeah, it's just ongoing. Friendship, more. 
Okay, anyway, I'm done. Stand up. This is the problem with anointed moments. The pastor babbles. Thank you, Amy. Hmm. Why don't we wait on the Lord here just for a moment? And when I say wait on the Lord, I mean like we're just going to let it get awkward. But I'm not awkward. I don't feel awkward. Oh, Jesus, we welcome you into the room. We know you're here, but we just, we welcome you to awaken our hearts and our minds to the reality that you really are here and that you really have brought your kingdom. Thanks, Lord. Just wake us up more. Hey, have we just been waiting here? I just, I feel like I got maybe two impressions from, from God. Uh, anybody in the room having like sore throat issues, like tonsilly things? Anybody here? Yeah, okay. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, okay, we want to pray for you before we leave, okay? Uh, also, I've got another impression. Anybody here, this is going to seem silly, but it, I think it means something to the Lord. Uh, anybody here recently lose a pet and there's just been some heartbreak in your house about that? I, I know that's really strange. Isn't that weird? That's phenomenal. Okay, well, here's what we want to do. If, if those words apply to you, will you just put your hand up like kind of tall? I, I, we're not trying to embarrass anyone. Yeah, okay. Well, everybody else, look at these hands that are up. Keep your hands up just for a second. Everybody else, look at these hands. If you know how to pray for people, will you come pray for these people? Those back here, here, here. Come on, let's do it. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Ministry team, people, uh, even if you don't know how to pray for people, just come around and find out what's going on, and we're going to pray for people. Just give them the short history, and let's pray. All right, Lord, we love you. Somebody come over here with CC. Uh, back here with Parker. Parker, put your hand back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Nancy. Will you go over here where Parker's at? Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Lord. Amen. Have a good Sunday. Give somebody a high five and a hug. Otherwise, pray for people.